my definition of addiction is something that you can't stop, right? And most people who struggle from addictions are trying to regulate and alter their internal state. Now, you and I have been hypnotized and conditioned into believing that change happens outside of us. Because I've gotten carried away, I thought I was going to send you like a five-minute message, but you can see there's no script here, it's just me going a little crazy with you, but I want to really see you get what you want this year. Don't let this year be like last. And if last year was great, still don't let it be that way. Raise the standard. You know, if you ask Google how to stop an addiction, the first eight pages of search results point you to a $60,000 rehab facility or a 12-step program. People are looking for something outside of them to change their internal state. It's kind of a Newtonian principle. You wait for your wealth to come to feel abundant. You wait for your healing to occur to feel wholeness. You wait for your success to show up so you feel empowered. You wait for your new relationship to show up and feel love. You're, you're waiting for the event outside of you to happen, to change how you feel inside of you. That's cause and effect. If your life is perfect and extraordinary, you darn well know you're not gonna be happy unless you keep making it better. That's what makes us feel alive. It's not what we get that makes us happy, it's who we become and what we're able to give because we become more. That sense of contribution is what creates the deepest meaning. The thing is, those 12 steps, they only teach you how to stop an addiction. They don't teach you how to eliminate the desire to use drugs from your mind and heart. So essentially, addicts teaching addicts how to recover from addiction. Kids teaching kids how to grow up. And we're conditioned based on consumerism and marketing and programming that that's the way it works. To, to, to get something, to relieve yourself. And, uh, and the problem with that is that people begin to confuse true happiness with pleasure. And they're not the same thing. So people who have addictions like that typically have had uh, some very difficult past experiences that have branded them emotionally. And they just don't know how to change. They just don't know. So here's my assignment for if you want one. If you want to go from conversation to some action, here's a simple thing to do. What's an area of your life right now that you really want to improve? What's an area that's important to improve? If your body's great, how about your career? If career's great, how about your relationships? Intimate one especially, or your kids, or your relationship with your creator, spiritual side of your life, or is it your finances? Figure an area that really matters, decide on that area. Number one, write down what your life is like in that area right now as specifically as possible. You know, if you have an addiction, all an addiction is is a bad habit. And all a bad habit is is a subconscious program. So for the past century, we've used a book that is written in first person and we go to meetings multiple times a day, 480 plus hours out of a year, and we continuously read out of this book that is written in first person that uses the shared experience of addicts to program us 
into believing that we have a disease that is incurable. Let me ask you something. If you found a cure for a disease, would that cure allow you to continue using the drugs that destroyed your life? Would that cure allow you to continue to use the drugs that destroyed your life? Or would the cure eliminate the desire to use those drugs from your mind? And they're just looking for some relief inside of them so that they can make that feeling go away. So we can become distracted by our external environment for a period of time, you know. But then when you, you, you realize that the sports car or the new wardrobe or the vacation or the whatever people do, try to make the feeling go in a novelty of that, that, that thing outside of us wears off because we're trying to re-identify with our environment. And that goes away. The next thing that people do is they look for some immediate change. And so they take a drug. They drink something. They gamble. They watch pornography. And the event outside of them changes their internal chemistry. So you might say, well, I'm 13.5 pounds overweight, you know, whatever the weight is, whatever the situation is, or my body fat's like this, or I'm I wake up exhausted in the morning, and you write the truth of where you are right now, so you're real clear. Or I'm not in a relationship, I say I want a relationship, but I, I'm not in one, and I don't seem to find them, all the good ones seem to be gone is my belief. You know, and I, and I really do want one, but I don't have it. Whatever your definition, oh, I'm in a relationship, and God, I wish I wasn't in a relationship. <laughs> I'm planning my escape. Wherever you are, or I have a lo wonderful relationship, we love each other, but there just isn't enough passion. Just write the truth of where you are. The area you want to change, but write how it is. The truth is that addiction recovery has been approached with the same 12 steps for almost a century. There has been no improvement to the program, partly because of the traditions abided by in the program. And the moment they notice that the pain or the emptiness goes away, the moment they feel differently, they look to see what caused it. And this is when the attachment begins. Here's the problem, though. The rush of chemical change that takes place, the pleasure centers in the brain, there's a huge release of pleasure chemicals, and the intensity of the release of those chemicals begins to desensitize the receptor sites in the brain. So as the brain chemicals uh, uh, are re released and the receptor sites become desensitized, the next time you gamble, the next time you take the drug, the next time you shop, you need a little bit more the next time. And then the second step is, this is where you gotta be really honest with yourself. What are the rituals that have put me there? Because whatever results you're getting, even if you don't like the results, there's some rituals that are keeping you in that place. There's some rituals of what you eat or don't eat, how you move or don't move, how you sleep or don't sleep. There's some rituals in the lack of variety or spice or energy or focus in an area. There's something you're doing, and it's usually not one thing, it's a bunch of little things that you kind of do consistently whenever you think about getting in a relationship, whenever you think about working out, whenever you think about money, you get yourself in a state of overwhelm. You start thinking about all the things you can't control. Just write down all the rituals you have. So then what happens is the pleasure centers start to get re recalibrated to a higher and higher level. So you're always going to need more to make that feeling go away. Sounds like an addiction to me. 
And so people get lost because then without the dependency on that external substance, the body, which has become the mind, is, is craving its relief. And so an addiction really is when the body is the mind. So you may say with your conscious mind, I want to give up drinking, I want to give up pornography, I want to give up gaming, I want to give up over shopping, I want to give it up consciously. But the body has been conditioned from the past subconsciously. And so now the body's the mind. Now, no one's told people that true change can happen within them. And so then, when people start to realize that there's a gap between the external world how they present themselves to the world, their, their attention on the outer world, and their attention on their inner world, how they really feel. And if they're spending the majority of their time looking outside of them for change, and they don't want to look at this feeling, all they want to do is make that feeling go away, they're going to wind up in trouble. And then here's the third step. What do you want? What's your vision? And be really specific. I want to be my fighting weight. I want to be the strongest I've ever felt. I want to be, I'm going to turn my, whatever it is, be specific. And then, last step number four, what are the rituals that'll get you there? What would you need to do differently each morning if you're going to be that kind of energy, that kind of strength? How would you have to, how often would you work out? What days would you work out? What time? A ritual is something you do consistently, usually at a specific time, so it becomes automatic. So true change is when you start looking within and you become conscious of your unconscious thoughts. In neuroscience is called metacognition. You become aware of your habits and your unconscious behaviors. And you look at those emotions that are connected to past experiences and allow yourself to observe them. I bet you have some rituals in your life right now you've been doing for years, even though some of them don't serve you. I'm just saying, wake yourself up. Make, if you want a new year and a new life, you don't need to start on January 1st. Start today, start with this little video and just begin to see what happens and see how easy it is to just do a few little rituals. Don't do them all, just do two or three new things. And you know what happens? You'll get momentum. Because once you discipline yourself in one area of your life, you feel yourself doing it in other areas as well. And I always say something that my original teacher taught me, I always remind people, there's always two pains in life. There's the pain of discipline or there's the pain of regret. Innovation is what has taken us into the technological age that we live in and it will be what takes us to where we are going. So why then have we, for the past 100 years, believed that this is the only program that can teach us how to recover from addiction? Why do the court systems of our government force us into a program that does not work? So then think about this, if 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old are those programmed states, the moment you're observing how you think, how you act, and how you feel, it means you're no longer the program. You're now a consciousness observing the program, and you're beginning to objectify your subjective self. You are seeing yourself through the eyes of someone else. It turns out that the size of the frontal lobe, the crowning achievement of 40% of our entire brain, that's what separates us from all other species. It's the boss, it's the CEO, it's the conscience, it's the creative center. 
It's what speculates possibilities, what learns from its mistakes, it's what has intention, intention, regulates, controls behaviors and emotional reactions. When your forebrain begins to turn on, and that begins to happen, you are now beginning to become the executive in your life. You're starting to gain more control over your life. If you're living primarily as the body, mind, and the hindbrain is looking for some chemical relief. So by the mere fact that you can begin to observe who you're being means you can modify who you are to do a better job in life. So then going from the old self to the new self, I call that crossing the river of change. Because the moment, the hardest part about change is not making the same choices you did the day before. Oh, you relapsed, huh? Oh, it's because you didn't work the program. You stopped working the steps. You stopped going to the meetings. You didn't find a sponsor. And the moment you're not going to think the same way, make the same choice that leads to the same behavior, that creates the same experience, that produces the same emotion, you are not going to feel like yourself. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unfamiliar. There's going to be a certain amount of uncertainty. You are going to feel in the state of unpredictability. And that's the moment you step into the river of change. And the moment you step into the river of change, you're, then that discomfort means you're in the unknown. And so the body, which has been conditioned to the mind, who's been living in the past, would rather hold on to the guilt, because at least it's familiar. They'd rather hold on to their own emptiness and unworthiness than not feel that, because that's, that's the unknown. So people cling to the familiar, and it transcends rationality. And discipline weighs ounces, as my friend Jim Rohn taught me. Regret weighs tons. You don't have regret. So right now, what do you want to change? What's it really like? What are the rituals that got you there? That'll take a little homework. If you're not sure, ask the people around you. They'll tell you what your rituals are. Every addict seeks to use drugs to provide the presence of missing joy or to generate the absence of pain and fear. So then, the moment you step into that river and the body has become a mind, the body starts sending signals back to the brain because it wants to return back to the familiar self. And this is when we start to hear all the chatter, the sub-vocalizations. You're not good enough. You're too much like your mother. It's your ex-husband's fault. Start tomorrow. This doesn't feel good. What's wrong with me? I want to kill myself. That's the body saying, I'd rather, I don't want to go in the unknown. I don't trust the unknown. I'd rather hold on to this. Now. Going from that old self to the new self is the biological, the neurological, the chemical, the hormonal, the genetic death of the old self. And most people they step out into that unknown and it feels so uncomfortable, they can't predict it, they return back to the unknown. People say to me, well, I can't, I can't predict my future. And I always say to them, well, the best way to predict your future is to create it, not from the known, but from the unknown. And that void, that unknown, it's the perfect place to create from. Now, why is this dangerous? Because when you're living in survival 70% of the time, there's better chances in survival from running from the unknown than embracing the unknown, right? If there's a predator out there, you hear something around the corner and you can't see it, that's an unknown, you're gonna run. You're not gonna go, and it's not a time to trust. It's not a time to open your heart. It's not a time to communicate, here kitty kitty. It's not a time to do that, it's time to run. Let me ask you, what makes you 
happy. And don't tell me your family. Don't tell me your kids. Don't give me a noun. What makes you happy is a question that requires predication. If you place your joy in a noun, in a place, or a thing, or a person, then it's going to require that place, that person, that thing to be present in your life in order for you to have joy. You'll never trust the unknown in that state. So people are living by these emotional states of survival. They're never going to want to step out into the unknown because they can't predict the future. So they'd rather hold on to what they have. Turns out that those emotions of stress are highly addictive. They give us a rush of adrenaline, rush of energy. So people use the problems and conditions in their lives to reaffirm their addiction to that emotion so they can remember who they are as a somebody. So then if your thoughts can turn on the stress response, and those stress chemicals are addictive, and we become addicted to our own thoughts. You must find the things that you can do on a daily basis that pull you out of bed in the morning, that make you want to better yourself, that make you want to birth a higher, better expression of your existence. You are capable, you are full of amazing, unlimited potential, and you have gifts that only you can provide to this world. And the reason why you started using drugs is because you did not determine these gifts. You did not call Cultivate this passion and you are not pursuing a destiny of your choosing. So then stepping out into that unknown is where the, the true greatness happens. Because that's where the person begins to say, what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain? What behaviors will I want to demonstrate in my new life? Can I rehearse them in my mind? And the mere process of mental rehearsal is neuroscience now begins to install the circuits in your brain to look like the experience has already occurred. You're priming your brain into the map of the future instead of the record of the past. And then the true, true person who's in the process of transformation will say, can I teach my body motion what that future is going to be like? Can I begin to embrace the joy of my life? And the body is their unconscious mind begins to believe it's in the future instead of in the past. Now, that process is not an overnight process. We don't jump from the old self to the new self. It requires that continuous process of changing our biology. But I can tell you in observing people who have healed themselves of very serious health conditions, who healed themselves of some pretty difficult scars in the past, who've overcome addictions, who've created new opportunities and new uh, jobs and new uh, relationships and a new life, had to cross that river. And that is when they're literally, from a biological standpoint, a new personality. And your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. Your personality is going to help you think, how you act, and how you feel. The present personality who's sitting here today has created the present personal reality called life. Which means that if you want to create a new personal reality, 
you got to change your personality. And that means you got to start thinking about what you've been thinking about and change it. Look at your unconscious habits and behaviors, what you say, what you do, and become conscious. And change it. And look at the emotions that have happened in the past and decide if those emotions belong in your future.